Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, a show where we talk to experts who've taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have sailed around the world to those who've started thriving businesses and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. This is episode 42 with professional highliner, Ari Delashmet. This episode was brought to you by Keen. On all my greatest wild adventures, I've had a pair of Keens with me. I wore them when I stand up paddled down a portion of the Peruvian Amazon River, when I went tubing through the glowworm caves in New Zealand, and even trekking through the rainforest of Costa Rica. Keen's most known for their Newport sandal. They're made to go in water and on land, but right now they also have some amazing new styles I'm especially excited about. The Terradora collection, for example, was designed specifically for the unique biomechanics of a woman's foot and stride. It was designed so you could trek all through Yosemite or any great hiking destination, and so you could wear them through the city streets, on the beach, and they're stylish enough to wear out after with leggings or jeans. Best of all, Keen is a family-owned company. They're out of Portland, Oregon. They're committed to not only protect the places we play outside, but they also provide numerous grants to causes and difference makers who share their ambitious goals. They support some kick-ass ambassadors as well. You can check them out at keenfootwear.com. That's K-E-E-N footwear.com for more. This episode was brought to you by Newzest, a company from New Zealand I discovered there that makes some of the healthiest, yummiest, and sustainable vitamin and quality pea protein supplement powders and bars on the market. There's no GMO, no dairy, no soy, gluten, grains, artificial sweeteners, no added sugar, no preservatives, no fillers, no animal products, no bad stuff. It's all good stuff made in Belgium, Australia, or New Zealand, not in China. I'm a huge advocate for clean, healthy eating, and I also travel a lot, which is why I love taking New Zest powders and bars on the road. My favorites are their chocolate clean lean protein, the just fruit and veg mix, which actually has five fruits and five veggies inside, and a product called the Quick Vita Kick, which has all the vitamins you need to go all day long, plus protein, prebiotics, probiotics, real fruits and veggies, and digestive enzymes with only 48 calories, zero grams of sugar, and six grams of protein. The Cacao Honey Quick Vita Kick is my favorite. I kind of use it like dessert. All of their powders taste great. Right now, if you use the code WILDIDEAS at newzest-usa.com, that's N-U-Z-E-S-T-USA.com, you'll get 15% off every order, even repeat orders. So go to newzest-usa.com. Make sure you enter the code WILDIDEAS at checkout. Ari Delashman is a professional highliner, an accomplished skier, an adventurer, and the host of the How to Adventure podcast. I actually met Ari at the Outfound Festival in Oregon, and I really loved his talk about lessons he learned from life on a highline. For those of you who don't know what a highline is, it's basically a slack line, but extremely high in the air, like hundreds and thousands of feet, and he walks across these things. We talk about what it's like to be so high up, the lessons he's applied from highlining to life, his take on fear, free soloing, which is doing this all without any safety gear, 
and so much more. Ari definitely thinks outside of the box, and he has some great insights about just life in general from spending so much time in the air. I hope you enjoy this show. It's a quick one, but one I really enjoyed. Ari Delashman, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. You live on the high line, high life on the high line. I don't know where this is yes, going. Thanks for having me, Shelby. So Ari and I actually met at the Outfound series in Oregon, and you gave an incredible speech about lessons you've learned from the High Line. And I didn't even know what highlining was at that point. Can you just briefly tell everyone listening what highlining is? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, highlining is a type of slacklining where we anchor one-inch wide pieces of webbing as high off the ground as we can muster, and then we try to carefully walk across it. Uh, we walk across it, we bounce on it, and we do tricks on it, and we try not to fall off of it. That's pretty much highlining in a nutshell. But you're how, how high are you off the ground? Well, if we're getting technical, the Europeans say that it's not a high line unless it's 30 meters, so it's about 100 feet you got to be off the ground. Otherwise, it's a midline. So preferably, I would be like a million miles off the ground. Wow. Uh, at this point, the higher, the better. And you're usually between somewhere beautiful, like two giant rocks or a mountain. Yeah, well, like the Grand if Canyon. your goal is to get a rope strung across as high off the ground as possible, you're probably going to have to go to some place really beautiful. Got it. Okay. Understand it. So how did you get into highlining before you were a professional skier? Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I was into highlining before that, but I started slacklining in 2006. And then it wasn't until four years ago that I started highlining when the uh when one of my friends let me know that the smith rock highline festival was happening that weekend and we went out and tried to highline and failed over and over and over until our arms and legs were bruised and bloody um and that kind of started the whole um as i tell people it took over my life i kind of have this way of learning things where i don't dabble very well. I'm not a dabbler. I kind of just find things that I really like to do and it kind of takes over my mind and I have a hard time doing anything else uh, for, a, for a while. And for highlining, it was about almost two full years that I, that there was one winter where I skied about a third of the days that I skied the year before and because I just wanted to highline all the time. But you've always been into adventure. So I saw that you were a whitewater guide as well. So is this, all, is this how you were raised or have you always just done this? You know, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, my dad was a snow skier and taught me to ski when I was eight. And I was doing backflips by the time I was 12. And then he was a competition water skier. So I started competing on a wakeboard by the time I was 13. And so, yeah, I think I think... It's hard to imagine where I would, what I would do if my dad hadn't been kind of a an outdoor guy to begin with. And I'm asking this because, like, the average Joe wouldn't just go show up to the Smith Highline Festival and just go enter without having done it before, no? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think that um, on top of my dad being an outdoor guy, I had an older brother and a younger brother, which kind of made me the crazy middle bro who... 
you know, I learned how to like do backflips off a curb when I was like 13 or something. And I always had like kind of crazy physical tricks to show off with. Um, and that definitely was a precursor to the life I live now. I just listened, or I just read this amazing blog and it was all these things you should do or you should do so you don't regret your life. And one of those was you should have a really good party trick. You must have mm. a million party tricks, like doing flips. Mm, really and... good party trick. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you put a if you put a small highline up at a party, I've got a pretty damn good party trick. <laughs> um, I can do backflips and run up the wall and do a backflip, that kind of thing. I think that, that counts. But realistically, my best party trick is, um, you know, making cards disappear, that kind of little stupid, stupid magic tricks that I learned from my friends. That's epic. So good party tricks. Call Ari uh, Delash. Party tricks are important. You got to have that stuff. That's how you get through life. I have no good party tricks except for going up to, I used to just go up to guys um, at the bar and just challenge them to push up contests. And and it really just didn't work. Like they would, they would usually run away. I could beat them at push ups, but that did not help my game at all. So anyways. Yeah. I don't know if beating guys at push ups helps you at all. So my next question is, can you, can you really just paint can you paint a picture of what it takes to highline it? It obviously takes rigging as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, slacklining in itself is physically really difficult. It is hard for us to balance on a wobbly, loose piece of rope. Um, so slacklining you... is where you put a rope between two trees and it's kind of low to the yeah, ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slacklining is okay. the stuff you see in the park where you got the hippies hanging out on the grass. They got the rope tied between two trees and they're trying to balance on it. They're trying to walk on it. And these days they might be doing something even crazier like a handstand or trying to juggle on it or something like that. You know, it it is somewhat similar to tightrope walking, but the rope is much looser we don't use a balancing pole because we can balance by moving the rope underneath our center of gravity got it and then chris like the things you see in chris burkard's photos is highlighting where they're walking yeah 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 same distance as the moon is higher something like that yeah and so what is it highlining from from slacklining when you take that slack line that's already really physically difficult to walk across or to balance on at all and you take it and you put it way up in the sky what you end up doing is you make it exponentially harder to walk across mm. and it's for a myriad of reasons that start with the visceral ones the fear of the height the fear of the rigging right if if the rope breaks you fall to your death if the anchor breaks, you fall to your death, that kind of thing, as well as just our innate sense of self-preservation that tries to keep us away from high places. And highlining is a very, very uneasy space, being out over the void trying to, trying to do something that's already physically very difficult and demanding. It just makes it so much harder. And I think that the challenge of controlling your mind and letting your body do the physical thing that you can do on the ground, but somehow seem to not be able to do up in the air is what derives most of the lessons that highlining can teach you from. I'd love to hear some of these lessons. You talked a little bit about it in the Outfound series, and you also have this amazing podcast called the How to Adventure Podcast with Ari in the Air. 
you know, maybe you can just tell us a few of the lessons that you've taken and applied to life through learning to Highline. Yeah, so in that, that podcast that you're referring to, I adapted from an article that I had written, um, Life Lessons from a Highline. And I've got like, I don't know, 12 or 13, maybe 15 of those. And I think my two favorite ones, I would say my first favorite one is, and this, you know, my first favorite being the most applicable to life, I would say, is don't expect success, expect persistence. We tend to cling to the idea that we're going to be successful in an endeavor. And the moment that we hit failure and we fail, we tend to be extremely discouraged and unmotivated to continue. And it's a mistake in expectation management, right? If you accept a high line as an extremely difficult physical act and mentally demanding, then when you go out there and you're unable to stand up or you cannot walk across the line successfully, you say, wow, that was really hard. I'm super glad I tried that. But if you face the sport of highlining with the attitude that I can do this, I'm going to, today is my day. I'm going to nail it today. And you get out there and you stand up and you fall off. You say, no, damn it. This is my day. I think it's really, I, I think it, highlining trains you to, to fail over and over while keeping uh, your focus on persistence and not success. Persistence is the, it is the golden key to life. Um, there's a great Calvin Coolidge quote that I would butcher um, talking about how persistence is the only thing that matters. Education doesn't matter. Talent doesn't matter. Genius doesn't matter. It's all persistence. And I think that's so true. And highlining teaches you that in a really visceral smack you down way. Yeah. I mean, and you, you said you also do a little bit of, well, one is there was another lesson that I really liked from this speech and it's, it was about play and the importance of play and what mm. happens to your mind. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go mm -hmm. with that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's really important to keep your mind in a state of play. And it's definitely, that idea is definitely related to expecting persistence and not success. Because if you can be in a state of play, then when you fall off of the slack line, you say, ha, 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 got me, instead of, you know, the frustration and paralysis that comes with that. It's, it's really important to remember why we do these things. We tend to get so caught up in competition and comparing ourselves to other people and who's better and whose personal record is longer and yada, yada, yada. And if you just set up a high line to play on it, and let's just say, if you set up a high line to play on it, you're going to have so much more success. You're going to learn so much more because you're going to spend more time on it. You're going to get back up on it over and over and over as opposed to if you try to walk across it, you know, first try, you stand up and you fall down, you damn near get off of it every time right after that. So keeping yourself in a state of play, I think is really, really important for every aspect of life. People take themselves way too seriously, way too seriously. And it's just it's uh, another example of expectation management gone wrong. 
My guess is where you're from in Bend, Oregon, there's there's a lot more opportunities to highline and slackline. In Southern California, where I'm living, there's some slacklines at the park and you know, even that is, is a little hard to come by because so many people have gotten busted. So you can find slack lines at the rock climbing gym. How do I get better at it? I'm one of those people that goes and I still can barely get across the line back and forth just walking. Is it time or is it technique or? I think just with, just like with everything, it's all time. It's all time. That's where the state of play comes in. That's why managing your expectation comes in. That's where the persistence comes in. If you think about technique too much and you fail, then you get frustrated. If you think about trying really hard or a certain mindset and you fail, you get frustrated. But if you think about play and if you think about persistence, then the clock is just ticking and you let the clock tick and you keep going. Um, Slacklining is a fun activity in the park that doesn't really scare you. But I think that that's one thing about highlining that uh, really turns me on is the intent and the implications of being on a slack line that you don't want to fall off, that your body and your mind viscerally want you to stay up on. Um, it creates a intent that slack lining cannot replicate so if you really want to get good at slacklining, then you should find your local highline community and go out and help them rig and get out there and see how hard it is and see how they do it. And then the next time you slackline, you'll do it with an intent and a purpose that you never had before. Wow, that sounds really interesting and quite scary. How do you manage your fear? I mean, there's got to be, I know that, you know, you have this leash and you're, you're attached. So the chances of you really falling to your death are slim when you're attached with a carabiner, but... But there's still this innate fear that you have when you're thousands of feet in the air. I mean, yeah, how, sure, what, sure. how do you deal with it? I think that just to start off, I would say that highlining is the safest thing that I do. Skiing and paragliding are much more dangerous. <laughs> um, but the fear with slacklining, um, you know, you're kind of reminding me of another point from that that episode that I recorded that is you're going to have to do it scared. Sometimes you can't deal with the fear. Sometimes you can't get rid of it. And your choice that you're left with is only, do I do it scared or do I run away? And I think the answer is always do it scared in highlining, especially. That's a really great lesson with that. In paragliding and in skiing, you can't do that all the time. If you're really scared, there's a reason and maybe you need to question yourself. Maybe you need to step away until you make sure that's the right decision. But in highlining, if you're, you know, once you're, once the line is rigged properly, you need to get out there and you need to do it scared and don't let yourself make excuses that you're going to try it when you're less scared because you won't be less scared until you work through that on the line over and over. Mm, that's good advice that you can apply to certain situations in life as well. You know, you also free solo, which is that, does that mean you just do it without any ropes at all? Yeah. So, you know, I walk a lot of high lines and one of the most popular questions is, are you tied to it? And the answer that I usually give is 99% of the time. So 99% of the time I'm tied to the high line and every once in a blue moon, I will get the wild hair that I'd like to. It's not even the wild hair. How do I explain? 
it's really hard to explain the desire that a person gets to take away their safety net and to prove to themselves that that doesn't matter. Um, and I don't know that I've thought about my own motivations in that enough to verbalize it, but I think that is what it kind of boils down to is it's really how many times can you walk on the, on the high line back and forth and doing tricks and being really comfortable with your leash on that you just wonder, well, I could just take it off and just walk across it real quick and just prove to myself that I don't need that. Um, and it's really, it's a really personal thing. And, you know, that's kind of a hot topic right now, especially with Alex Honnold recently doing his, his thing. And even in the, even in the recent past with Dean Potter losing his sponsorship and all that stuff for free soloing, it's a really, it's a personal thing and it's hard to, it's hard to even speculate on something like Alex Honnold's motivations and it's almost even hard for me to speculate on my own motivations um to free solo it's kind of like it's kind of like the time just comes to you that you just kind of know you're like yeah this seems like a perfectly applicable place to take my harness off and go for a really free really focused really almost meditative walk across the high line and it's a really nice it's a really nice experience I have so many more questions about this, but I'm going to think about it. <laughs> meditation. Do you meditate or do you do breath work or does that just happen on the line? Yeah, I think, I think it's for me, I, I'm not a big trainer. You know, I do a lot of different sports and I try to stay busy doing the things that I like and training and stretching and yoga are so boring I cannot do that stuff. I've got to go play. I've got to go try and challenge myself. So I think that pre-highlining Airy could not meditate to save his life. Um, but I have found meditation and breath work and a much longer duration of focus and concentration through highlining as a byproduct because it demands it. You just can't walk across a thousand foot long high line without staying completely focused and without managing your breath and without managing your mindset and without managing the things that you're thinking about. All those things have to happen for the stars to align for you to successfully walk across something of that magnitude. So I would say it definitely has kind of taught me that post thousand foot high line me still doesn't want to meditate or stretch or do any of that stuff. But <laughs> I kind of learned it as a byproduct of wanting to walk across really long pieces of rope. Okay. So either you're an incredible athlete or you're a freak of nature or, or what you're saying is, is also, I'm sure really legit, but what else do you do? I mean, do you not drink or do you eat vegan or do you have any other tactics that you use to do what you do? Ah, what a great question. I've always really enjoyed cooking. I love food. So I end up eating really well, I would say. Not in the healthiest, most vegan granola crunchy way, but like really tasty things that make me happy to cook and make me happy to eat. I think that's really important. I think I'm a hippie uh, granola vegan, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're definitely more hippie granola vegan than I am. Awesome. But, uh, I'll take it. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's any big secrets there. I think that, um, you know, we're all different. I think that some people need more specific inputs to get more specific outputs. And I tend to focus on the output more than the input. Awesome. You know, one of the things I saw on your, on your own website was that there's this thing called human powered slacklining. Yeah, highlining, human-powered highlining. Oh, human-powered highlining. That's even sketchier. Yeah. So is that... Yeah, we've set the world record for that a couple times now. So does that mean like a bunch of people are each holding the line like tug-of-war, but not... Exactly. I love the tug-of-war reference. It's so perfect. Yes. Um... That's so sketchy. <laughs> oh, man. It seems to even like... It makes me laugh even to like explain that I kind of like have put this stunt together. Um, so what is it? How I would say people... my friend Spencer Seabrook out of Squamish, he those guys like four years ago did the first one, and uh, it was like a hundred feet long, and then two years later in Moab we did a hundred and eighty foot, and then last year at the Smith Rock Highline Festival that's coming up this next weekend, we did a two hundred and sixty five foot long human anchored high line where we had 21 people on one side holding onto the line and 21 people on the other side holding onto the line. And we let our lightest friend walk across it. And were they anchored to a leash or solo? Yeah. The, the, the walker was anchored to the line, but the line was not anchored to the ground. The line was anchored only to the people holding onto it with their bare hands. No gloves? Like, Full... No gloves, no nothing. Oh. No gloves, no nothing. Just holding on to it. And we put it over our shoulders so that it kind of helps the downward force as the person gets closer to you. But I think that you'd be amazed at how strong people are in groups of that size. 20 people can really put some force onto a piece of webbing. Where can we see a video of this? <laughs> I think I think the video is is out on both Vimeo and YouTube. Um, I was the stunt coordinator for that and produced the video. And my friend Wes Coughlin at Delve Delve Studios is in Bend. I freelance with them every so often, um, but they made the video. Check it out. I would just type into Google "human anchored highline" and I think the video will pop up immediately. Okay, I will definitely put this in the show notes, and I might have you send you me should. the exact link. This sounds amazing. So, I, I know to, you make a living basically being an adventure, which is a job that most people would absolutely love to have. It sounds like you do some other things too. You have a podcast. You must have done some film work. You know how how do you do it? I think that people are really envious of it until they see the salary. <laughs> the pay sucks, the hours are great, and the work keeps me pretty fit. But um, I don't know. I'd say you gotta if you, if you really want to if you really want to make a living doing what you love. And I I I think it's true for adventuring as an athlete, being an artist, um, freelancing that all those things. I think that you have to manage your expectations. You have to lower your overhead. And you have to have persistence. You just got to keep going. If it's what you really want, you just got to keep going and you have to start somewhere. So 
Um, you know, I don't, I don't make a ton of money, but I'm definitely having a great time. Well, I think you are, and I think there's a lot of sponsors who are really curious about working with you or want to work with you. And That'd be great. I got introduced to you by Keen, one of your primo sponsors, and they spoke very highly of you, so I'm stoked they introduced uh, us. Thanks. You also thanks. have a really good definition of adventure. I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah, so in the, in the podcast, in the first episode, I defined adventure as a risky undertaking with uncertain outcomes. And I think that might be the Webster, not far from the, the Webster definition. But um, a lot of people lately, I've heard people say that adventure doesn't start till something goes wrong, which I uh, disagree with wholeheartedly. But it's got to involve risk and it's got to involve uncertainty because that implies challenge. I think if you're challenging yourself for something that you want to do, that you're not certain if you can do, and there's risk involved, I think that if you are undertaking something like that, then you have accepted the consequences of your own actions for better or for worse, and you're going to prepare accordingly. I like that definition a lot. Who inspires you, or have you read any books along the way that really that you give to others or that you recommend or you read more than once or go back to? Oh, the things I read are, I would say, wholly unrelated to the outdoor world. Um, I am a student of philosophy. I read a lot of philosophy and listen to a lot of philosophy podcasts and that kind of thing. And if I'm reading, it's nonfiction. Things like, you know, Gladwell and Freakonomics, Super Freakonomics, um, you know, I think I'm really interested in the way things actually work. And which philosophers are you interested in? If I were to drop a name on your podcast so that your listeners would check out his podcast, that would be Free Domain Radio with Stefan Molyneux. He's a advocate of peace and freedom, and his podcast is the most downloaded philosophy podcast out. You should check it out. Awesome. I'm interested in learning more. And yeah, did you really study good. philosophy in school? or? No, you know, it's kind of funny. I, uh, I actually studied ceramics in school, which was a good way to get my dad to keep paying my rent <laughs> so that I could go skiing every day and skip my ceramics class. Did you go to school in Oregon or Utah? Or where? Yeah, I did. I went to school in Bend, and I actually, when I stopped going to college, I made my living as a potter for a short time and funded a move to Montana so that I could ski more. That's amazing. The fact that you funded your life as a potter is, is incredibly amazing. I know, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. I know, it's like 1850 around here. So I'm, I'm pretty curious what you were like as a kid and, and if you could go back in time and Give your, I love to ask the question, what would you tell your 15-year-old self if you could go back and tell him? Just because 15 is a tumultuous year. You're either a sophomore oh, or a freshman in high school. And... So tumultuous. Huh, how I was as a kid. Um, hmm. Well, I was, <laughs> I was trapped in the mental gulag that is public school. 
The mental gulag that is public school. That's a, that's a pretty profound statement, Ari. Yeah. I Must don't have think, been torturous for you. I don't think that teaching young boys to sit down and obey is... Uh, was definitely not good for me. Got it. I did not become the person I am in public school. I only started years after. But um, if I were to give my 15-year-old self some advice, it would be that confidence comes from inside. It doesn't come from accomplishments. It doesn't come from... Uh, adoration from other people. It comes from inside, and only once you have confidence can you be nice and can you fulfill the needs that other people have. I like that. That's really good advice. I wish I could go back to my 15-year-old self and give it to me. (laughs) So you travel around the world a lot for your sponsors, for yourself, um, to do these amazing adventures. Is there any go-to gear or things you've discovered along the way that you love having? Earplugs. Earplugs. That's my number one travel hack. Earplugs, nonstop, and and don't don't take them out as early as you think. People, I like to walk through the airport with earplugs in. I like to be in a taxi with earplugs or or headphones. You know, I do. I listen to a lot of podcasts, so it's either headphones or earplugs, unless there's something really great to listen to. Awesome. And do you? You're how old? Just how old am I? Yeah. I am 28 years old. And you're married? For seven years now. Wow. So you're, you're a real adult. What's next for you? I don't know about that. I think I figured some things out before other people, and I think that uh, in reality, I would say that the things that I've realized as benefits of marriage and partnership have come post-marriage. I have learned them as a husband and not as a fiance. I didn't necessarily know the things. I didn't know the benefits of it until now, really. Like, until, you know, four years ago or five years ago. Huh, because I was planning on doing the four-year engagement. Thanks. Um, (laughs) Let's get advice, though. Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit to being, to having a partner and to being loyal, I think that values are really important. I think our world, and especially my generation, tends to think that nothing matters and that you can do whatever you want and that good things will come out of whatever you do. And I don't necessarily think that's true. I think that there's a way to do it that will maximize your chances at being happy and being satisfied. And um, I think that finding those things is really important the the unobserved life is not worth living you got to examine yourself and try to figure out the best way to do it totally agree what's your next adventure huh next adventure well next weekend we're putting on the smith rock highline festival we're going to be putting up probably 25 highlines for that and then the weekend after that we got the cragging classic at smith rock so we got a bunch of smith rock in the future um but I'm not sure. Usually in the fall, I try to get out of the country and go train acrobatics paragliding. So it might be Chile. It might be Spain. I'm not sure yet. I'm just kind of getting off some big projects. So the next one is not hatched yet, but I love this, this uh, kind of time where I'm between projects because 
I'm anxious to see what's coming my way. Um, and it's really hard to plan. So I kind of just let it happen. So yeah, what's, what's that mindset mantra when you don't know what's next, you just let things kind of happen or you start putting feelers out there. Hmm. What is that? That's a good question. I would say that, how do you make things happen? God, I just think what, a lot of how people... How do you make things happen? A lot of people... I would say, number one, <clears throat> number one, you got to judge people. How do you expect to be surrounded by the best people if you're not judging people? You got to surround yourself with the finest people that you can find at whatever the cost. Awesome. That is, on the other side of that coin, means that you're going to have to ditch the people that drag you down. If you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are, if you have this big group of people who are all shakers and movers, entrepreneurs and adventurers, and they respect you as that, they're bound to call you with their project, right? So you got to stay current. You got to stay awesome. You got to stay happy. You got to stay agile and not tied down to debt and to work and all kinds of those adulting things. And then your your phone will ring. If your phone's not ringing, then you got to be making other people's phones ring so that they're going to do your project. Shake and move. Shake and move. Well, I think you kind of answered my last question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. How can others live more wildly and adventurously in hmm. the life they want? You know, I was just talking to my friend the other day, and she has all these ideas of what she wants. And... I've always had the, I've always carried the belief that it's going to be really hard for me to judge exactly what I want, especially for the future. The future is so hard to wrap your mind around and especially to wrap your ideas and your plans around. So I think the first thing when, if I were to tell someone how to live wilder and live how how they want is really examine what it is that you think you want. Um, and then once you're, once you're pretty sure there that you've got this big, this big dream, then you go back to that idea that we were talking about earlier, where you're going to expect persistence and not success. And then once you have, those two things, you have the goal and you have persistence, then it's only a matter of time. You're awesome, Ari. Thank you so much. I love that response. Persistence. It's not about success. Well, where can yeah. we find out more? Where can people listen into the podcast? I know your website is airyintheair.com. Yep. Where else can people um, find you? You can find the How to Adventure podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook as Airy in the Air. Airy, thank you for sharing your wild ideas with us. Hey, thank you, Shelby. Talk soon. You're awesome. For more on Airy, I'll have links in the show notes. Just go to wildideasworthliving.com, click on Airy's episode, hit play, and the show notes will appear. It'll include the link to his podcast and so much more. 
Thank you to the Outfound Series and to Keen Footwear for introducing me to Ari. Ari, thanks for doing this two times. We did the first one, and then I was like, no, nah, you got more than this. We did the second one, and I had a bit of a margarita, and he totally put up with me. So, Ari, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This guy's up to great things. Check out his podcast. It's really good. Some of the stuff we talked about is dangerous, and you could definitely die doing it. So please use caution. Use safety gear when practicing these sports like highlining. Thank you again for listening to this show, for writing reviews on iTunes, which is what helps keep this podcast going, and also for donating to the show on the Support Us tab. Go to wildideasworthliving.com slash support. You can donate any amount from the cost of a cup of coffee to, heck, you can donate the cost of a new surfboard. It helps keep this show going, and I really appreciate it. Most of all, don't forget, wherever you are in the world, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We'll see you next week. 